0: Alright, good morning everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. If you could make your way back in and find a place to grab a seat. We've been doing a series called Better Together. And maybe some of you feel like, like, aren't you done with that series yet? And my answer to that is, I'll be done with it whenever you guys get it. So we're going we're gonna to stay here until you guys can apply this to your life and embrace what the Lord is speaking to us. And we talked about how circles are better than rows and how we were meant by God to do life together. We talked about how when God created the world, every day he would finish what he was creating and he would say, that is good. But then when he made man, it was the first time he actually said, this isn't good. It's not good that man would be alone. So then he made a woman to be the companion for the man so that he wouldn't be alone. God designed us to be together. He didn't design us to be alone. The circle that you spend your time with, the people that you have in your life, are really, really important. Your circle is super, super important. Maybe some of you have heard the phrase sphere of influence or circle of influence, and that talks about the people that you have in your life, your friends, the people that are closest to you. And those people make a real big deal in your life. Um, We don't get to choose who our family is. We're just born into our family. And sometimes some people can be born into a really rough family situation. And in that, they feel like the deck is like stacked against them. Like they're like trying to swim upstream just to make life happen because of their family situation, because they don't get to pick who their family is. But we do get to pick our friends. We do get to pick the people that we go through life with. We do get to pick the people that we're closest to. And the people that we pick to go through life with are super important and make a big difference on what our life ends up looking like. John, John Wesley said, you must find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. I think we were made for relationship. We were made for each other. And if Having an individual relationship with Jesus is super important, and each one of us needs to learn how to cultivate that relationship with him and how to foster the relationship with him, how to spend time with him and commune with him. But you weren't designed just to have a relationship with Jesus, you were also designed to have a relationship with each other. Littered throughout the entire Bible is the fact that we were made for friendship, we were made for relationship with each other, that's something that's very, very important to us. How many of you have ever had a friend that was a bad influence in your life? Anybody? Probably most of us. You know, we don't usually do public confession, but if that friend is here, I just want you to point that friend out right now. You can just bring that friend to the altar. We'll just do an altar call early today. I fear that there have been times where I was the friend that was a bad influence on people. Um, so yeah, Sarah raises her hands to give an amen to that. I was a bad influence on Sarah, apparently. Um There's often times where I wasn't really trying to be a friend that was a bad influence. Like sometimes I would just have these passing thoughts or ideas or jokes and I would say them out loud. And I didn't really intend for this thing to happen, but I had some friends that were maybe not as smart as I was and they were like willing candidates to execute this plan. And I oftentimes felt inside like, whoa, 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 this was a joke. This wasn't supposed to happen. Like, no, 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 don't do this. But we'd end up doing it anyways. One of those times, I'll tell you, uh, I was a Friday night, I was probably 17 years old, and we were sitting around at my friend's house, and we were bored, trying to figure out what to do, and I said something, and again, this was like a joke, I don't even really know why I thought it was funny, but I did think it was funny, I didn't intend us to do it, I said, what if we took one of our friends, and we sent him into the a uh, uh, really busy store, like by himself, and he goes and he walks around, and then we go in there with a rope, like a group of us, and we kidnap him, and like... You know, people would probably be scared, and they would think we were actually kidnapping somebody. We'd run out of the store. Like, it would be funny, right? And everyone's like, yes, that's exactly what we're doing tonight. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, I didn't really mean to do it. And they're like, yep. And before I knew it, we're in the car, and we're headed to the store. So we're headed to find a busy store. We go find a store, and we send my friend in there to go in there and do his thing. We got another friend who just always wants to videotape everything. I don't really know why. So he's walking around with a video camera in the store like, hiding behind clothes and stuff. So we go in, and we didn't have a rope that time, so we had a sheet. So we ran in the store, and we wrapped up my friend in a sheet, and people were, like, screaming and freaking out, and we're running out of the store with them, and the manager's, like, trying to stop us. And that day, unfortunately, that manager had his Wheaties. So he's, like, he's, he's down for a fight so this manager is literally fighting us. <laughs> and I'm like, in an almost fist fight, going to have to hurt this manager to try and escape from the store with our friend who we're kidnapping. It like, wasn't a good thing. So that, we got to the end of that night. Everyone's laughing, but it's like, maybe we shouldn't do this again. Like, maybe this isn't the best idea. So we took a break for a while. But a couple months later, we had another Friday night. We couldn't figure out what to do. No one had any good ideas. And people said, like, what if we did that kidnapping thing again? And I'm like, I just, it wasn't, it didn't go well last time. I had to beat up some old guy. Like, I didn't really mean to, but, like, I don't think we should do this. And they're like, come on, let's do it. So, all right, we go to do it. So, we send my friend in. He goes in there. He's running around the store doing his thing, and he gets around a crowd of people. We go in and we wrap him up with a rope this time, and people are, like, trying to stop us and yelling, and we're leaving. Like, people are screaming. We leave the store. We get out. Didn't have to run into a manager that time. Like, we thought everything was good. We're driving away laughing. I was actually driving, and Got about a mile down the road, and all of a sudden, I started seeing lights behind me. And I thought, like, maybe they're pulling somebody else over. So I pulled over to let him go by, but he didn't want to go by. He wanted to stop behind me. And so I'm like, oh, no, this is so bad. So I, I, the guy comes to the car, and I said, like, sir, I'm really sorry. Like, we were just joking around. Like, we didn't really kidnap anybody. It was just a funny prank. Like, I'm really sorry. Hopefully, you will like, let us just go home. And that's where my friend who's in the back seat, like wrapped up in rope, thought it would be funny to go, they're actually kidnapping me, they're lying. I'm like, this is not the time. So we got out and luckily, my friend who we were kidnapping, his brother was a police officer and he came by and kind of saw what was happening and was just like shaking his head at us. And he charged us all with being idiots and sent us home and we didn't get into too much trouble. But that was one circle of people that I hung out with for a while, and we weren't exactly the best influences on each other. Just fast forward like six months later, I stopped hanging out with that circle of friends. I was actually at Camp Judah, and I was with another circle of friends. And It was the last day of camp, and we were sitting in a circle around a campfire, and Nick D'Antonio was there, another friend named Todd, and another friend named Justin, we're sitting there talking, and Nick was talking about how he was going to go to Elam. He was going to go to Bible school. He felt like that's what he was supposed to do. We were talking about like what we felt like God wanted us to do. My friend Todd, he felt like God was asking him to go to YWAM, which was like a missions organization. He was going to go on a missions trip. Justin said he felt like God was asking him to go to the International House of Prayer. And I was kind of trying to decide what I was going to do with my life at that time. And that circle influenced me. And I influenced them in a much, much different way than that first circle that I was spending time with, kidnapping people and doing all kinds of nonsense. The people you surround yourself with, the friends in your life that you have, make a real big difference on what your life looks like. So I want to ask you this morning, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? If, if people had to, to look at you and say what kind of a friend you were to them, what would they say? Are you a friend that influences people to get closer to Jesus? Are you a friend that's influencing people to do stupid things? Or are you really not much of an influence at all? Are you not much of a friend to people? There's a portion of scripture that talks about some friends, and I want to look at it this morning. It's actually in Mark chapter 2. I want to spend the rest of our morning there. Mark chapter 2, we're going to read, start off by reading the first four verses. It says, a few days later, when Jesus, came, Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. He had, been, he had made Capernaum like his home base, and he was ministering out of Capernaum, and then he would come back there. So people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So we have this man here, but this man actually isn't just lying on a mat. This man is actually living on a mat. This man is paralyzed, and in the first century, oftentimes people believed that when someone had some kind of infirmity like that or someone had some kind of handicap. It was because they were living under a curse. So this wasn't really the kind of guy that people would want to be around or the kind of guy that people would want to befriend. This man couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. He couldn't make his own food. He couldn't work a job. He was just stuck living on this map. And I don't know a whole lot about this man, but I can't help but wonder what he dreamt about when he went to bed at night, when he would fall asleep. I wonder what he dreamt about. I got to imagine because he couldn't walk, he would dream about walking. He would dream about running with friends. Maybe he dreamt about dancing with a beautiful woman that he saw and he wished he could dance with. But every morning he woke up with the harsh reminder that this mat was his reality. This mat was his life. And in this horrible situation, this guy actually has one thing going for him. It doesn't look like there's much of anything that's going his way in his life, but he's got one thing that's going for him. He's got some really, really good friends. Not just acquaintances, not just people that come around when it's convenient, not just people that come around when there's a party going on, but he's got some really good friends, like through thick and thin, the kind of friends that show up when no one else does, the kind of friends that show up when life gets hard. I don't know for sure, but I got to imagine that Jesus wasn't just right across the street from where this guy was laying on a mat. He was probably across town. And these friends pick up their friend on a mat, and they travel all the way across town, probably up hills and down hills, down small streets, back alleys to get to where Jesus is, and then they get there, and they can't get get inside. They, they, they did all the work already. They already went all the way across town and carried their friend, but they can't get inside. They could have said, well, you know, I guess the, the deck wasn't stacked in our favor, and they could have just went home. They could have stood outside and with their fingers crossed and said, well, maybe Jesus will come this way when he's done. But his friends began to become persistent. His friends didn't give up. His friends believed for him. His friends began to come up with an idea. And I got to believe one of his friends maybe was like an engineer or something like that. And he kind of surveyed the situation from an analytical way. And he kind of looked around and then he went, guys, I got an idea. Follow me. And he grabs a corner of the mat and they start to press through the crowd and these friends have probably heard some of this guy's ideas before, and they're going like, oh, man, where is this going this time? Are we kidnapping people again? Like, what are we doing? Like, so they start pressing their way through the crowd. They get to the back of the house, and they find a staircase, and they start climbing a staircase to get up on the roof. In those days, roofs were a lot different than they are now. Usually they were flat roofs. People would dry clothes outside. Sometimes people would hang out and have a meal up on a roof. The roofs were usually like two feet thick, and there was sand and mud and sticks and all this stuff in there. When it was all dried, it dried like concrete, basically. They get up on the roof, and the friends look at him, and they're like, okay, we're up here, but like, now what do we do? What are we going to do now? What's next? And the friend reaches over in the corner. He finds an axe. He brings the axe over, and he raises the axe above his head, and then he smashes it into the roof. And the friends kind of look at him like, are we really going to do this right now? We're going we're to go through the roof is what we're going to do here. Okay, so they start digging. They start breaking apart this roof to try and get inside. And what I want you to see here is that this wasn't an easy situation. It was a difficult situation. It was difficult just getting their friend across town to where Jesus was. Now they're breaking a hole in the roof. Don't you imagine for a second that that was happening here this morning, that I'm preaching and I'm trying my best to share what God wants to say with you guys, and then all of a sudden we hear some noise on the roof. Eventually, well, first of all, I'd probably try and ignore it for a little while, like maybe it'll go away. I'd try and preach through it. I'd try and preach louder so that people could hear me. Then eventually I might ask someone to like, go outside and, and see if they could figure out what's going on. But then eventually some stuff starts to fall from the ceiling. Debris starts to fall from the ceiling. Eventually you can see that there's somebody up there. And then they, these guys start lowering this guy into this house. I got to believe the homeowners kind of like looking at this situation like, well, I invited Jesus over, but this wasn't exactly what I expected. Like he's thinking about having to talk to the insurance adjuster and like he's going to ask, was it an act of God? And it's like, well, ki- kind of like God was here, but somebody else did it. Like, how do I even answer that question? Like, Who's going to pay for this? Who's going to fix my roof? Then there's the guy who's getting lowered through the roof. Like, what's going through his mind? Like, Jesus is up there giving his TED Talk. Like, everything's going well. He's bringing it to a close. And then this guy starts coming through the roof. And like, what does the guy say? Like, what does he say to Jesus? Like, is he waving at people? Like, hey guys, my legs don't work. Like, just thought I would drop in. And Like, what about the other people that are there listening to Jesus? And they're waiting for their turn, and they have needs too, and they've been waiting to have their time in front of Jesus, but now this guy just came and cut the line, and now he's getting dropped through the roof. Like, is Jesus going to yell at the guy? Is Jesus going to be frustrated? Like, he interrupted his closing, like, this is awkward. Like, and it's into this scene that something amazing is about to happen. But before we see what Jesus Does Before we see how Jesus handled the situation, there's a few things that I've noticed so far in this story that I want you to see this morning. The first thing is that everyone needs a friend that can carry their mat. Everyone needs a friend in their life that can carry their mat. This guy's mat represents the thing he most struggles with in life. It's the constant reminder of his brokenness. He's broken, and this mat represents his brokenness. Each one of us has a mat. Each one of us has brokenness in our life. Maybe for you it's physical, like it was for this man. Maybe for you it's some kind of addiction that you haven't been able to break. Maybe for you it's fear that's been kind of the marking thing in your life. Maybe it's emotional problems. Maybe it's insecurity Maybe it's a broken family. Everyone, each one of us, has a map. We've been talking about living in circles. And oftentimes, one of the things that hinders us from entering into circles, that hinders us from entering into relationship and friendship with people, is we're afraid that if they really saw our brokenness, if they really saw our weakness, if they saw our imperfections, would they reject us? Would they still love us even with our flaws? I have a couple questions I want to ask you this morning. The first is, are you available for the type of relationship that allows people to see your brokenness? Are you available for the type of relationship that allows people to see your brokenness? Or do you just present a picture of yourself that you've got it all together, everything's going well, When really, deep down, we know we all have brokenness, we all have weakness. But are you available for the kind of friendship that allows people to see your brokenness? I've spent most of my life in the church. I grew up in the church, and I've spent most of my uh, working adult life here in the church. I've been a part of a lot of small groups. Um, I've been a part of small groups here when I was growing up as a kid. I've been a part of small groups when I was at Bible school. I've been a part of small groups here as I've been on staff. But there's very few small groups that I've ever been a part of where I've actually been vulnerable enough to show people my weakness, where I've been vulnerable enough to show up and say, guys, like this is the thing that I'm struggling with. I don't have it all together. Uh, I don't know what to do in every situation. This is my weakness. This is my brokenness. There are times that I've had a few small groups where I've been willing to do that. But most of the time, if I'm honest, I haven't. Most of the time I've tried to show up as the person with the answers, the person who knows what to do in a given situation. But there's not many times that I've actually been shown up and been willing to show people my mat. The second question I want to ask you is whose mat are you carrying? Whose mat are you carrying? Whose brokenness are you willing to carry? Whose brokenness are you willing to walk with? These friends could have seen their, their friend on a mat and they could have said, you know what, Like, I don't really want to get involved in that situation. In fact, oftentimes when you see people in the Bible with some kind of physical ailment, they're often alone. Because in that first century, people thought if you got too close to someone who had an ailment, it could rub off on you and you could end up with that ailment. And we look at that and we go like, okay, we know now that if someone's paralyzed, I'm not going to get paralyzed by just being around them. In the first century, they didn't actually know that. They thought they could catch the disease the person had. So we know that we're not going to get paralyzed from being around someone who's paralyzed. But how many times in our life do we look at someone who has some level, level of brokenness in their life, and we say, I don't really want to know if I want to get involved in that. Like, I don't really know if I want to get close to that. Like, I don't really know if I want to get any of that mess on me, I don't really know if I want to get involved in that situation because it looks messy and I, I don't really know. Maybe you look at that situation and you feel like, I'm too busy, like I've got too much stuff going on in my life. Or maybe you look at that situation and you think like, I don't really know the Bible well enough to, to be able to tell someone what to do or to help them. Or maybe just look at your life and your, your own mess and you think like, I've got enough mess in my life, or maybe you tried before to help someone and it didn't go well. And to all of those things, I would say, welcome to the family, because we have all felt like that at one time or another, felt like we didn't have time for someone else, felt like we didn't know if we wanted to get involved. But if we want to move past the comfort of rows and move towards circles, we have to be willing to be the kind of friend that people need. Everyone needs a friend that can help them carry their mat, that can walk with them in their brokenness. The second thing that I want you to see is that everyone needs a friend that's willing to do hard work. Everyone needs a friend that's willing to do hard work. These guys carried their friend on a mat. I've never really carried someone on a mat. Kind of the closest thing I could think to it is dragging a deer through the woods. And I've I've pulled a few deer through the woods, and usually by the time I'm done, like, depending how far I have to drag it, like, if it's over, like, 10 feet, I feel like I'm going to die. Like, I thought I was in good shape before I started dragging the deer. About 10 steps in, I'm like, man, I'm not in as good a shape as as I thought I was. Like, and if I have to drag it a long way, like, sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to hunt anymore. Like, I don't even really, I'm not that hungry. I'll just go go to save a lot. Like, I don't need this. Um... So these friends, like, carried their friend on a mat through town. Like, that's exhausting. Then they climbed up on a roof. They were trespassing. Then they busted a hole in the roof and lowered their friend. Like, they were willing to do the hard work of friendship. Some, for some reason, we get the idea that friendship is something that's going to come easy, and it's always going to be easy. That's probably not true. Most things worth having in life don't come easy. Um, sometimes there are people that we connect with, like right off the bat, and because of the way our personalities are, like that friendship happens real quickly and easily. But oftentimes it's not the case. Oftentimes it takes work, it takes time, it takes working through things, it takes butting heads with each other and arguing and figuring out how to be friends. If you have anybody you've been friends with for like a long time, like ten or fifteen years, like you can like look back over that time and say like, "There's been some hard work that we had to do to maintain this friendship, to keep this friendship alive." Friendships always take hard work, and if you think about like marriage, which is like another friendship, hopefully for you, um, marriage takes hard work. Like relationships take work. And effort. And are you the kind of friend that's willing to put in the hard work? Or you just bail when stuff gets difficult the first time you guys butt heads, or you guys have different views on different things? Like, are you the kind of friend that's willing to do the hard work to say, like, look, I'm gonna be with you, even if it's hard? The third thing I see here is everyone needs a friend that brings them closer to Jesus. I think one of the best ways we can show Jesus to the world around us is by loving people, by being friends with people in a way that they can't even really categorize. Being a loving kind of friend in a way that they haven't experienced before, by loving people well, I think it's one of the best ways that we can share Jesus with people. I can remember one time I was walking in the mall and uh, I saw this guy like walking towards me with a clipboard. And I kind of like, he kind of made eye contact with me. So I kind of, I didn't really want to talk to him. I thought he might be doing a survey or something. So I went to the other side of the mall, kind of walked on that side for a little bit. Then he came over there. And then he definitely made eye contact with me. And I was like, all right, this guy's going to be hard to duck. So he like walks straight to me and he's got his clipboard and he looks me in the eye and he says, son, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And I looked at him and I was like, uh, well, I'd go to heaven. I said, but. I think you might want to like reconsider your approach here. Like I think like, you know, I don't think it's probably gonna work for most people to like approach them in this way in such an intense way. Like if I wasn't going to heaven, I'm not sure I would want to talk to you about going to heaven, because if you're going there, I don't know if I want to go there. Like, I don't know, dude. Like this approach doesn't seem to be working. Each one of us needs a friend. And one of the best ways that we can share Jesus with people is by being their friend and and loving them well. Like You don't have to shove God down their throat, and you don't have to be super intense about it. You can just be a friend that loves well, and it will almost always open the door to some place to share the Lord with them. Whether you've been on this journey for 30 days or 30 years, each one of us needs a friend that will bring us closer to Jesus. Maybe today you're thinking, like, I don't even know if I have time for this sort of friendship. Like, I don't even know if I have the ability to have this kind of friendship. But if we're going to move past the place of just sitting in rows and being comfortable, we're going to have to learn to be the kind of friend that each other needs. And almost everybody needs a friend that will bring them closer to Jesus. Helen Keller said, walking with a friend in the dark is far better than walking alone in the light. Walking with a friend in the dark is far better than walking alone in the light. We weren't made to be alone. We were made to be together, and we all need friends. There are friends who have walked with me through seasons of life that I didn't know if I was going to come out the other side of. Friends that I had that were able to remind me of grace and forgiveness and the gospel when I was in a place where I didn't even know if I was going to make it out of this situation with my faith intact. We all need friends that can remind us who Jesus is. Let's keep reading. Mark 2, 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your, your sins are forgiven. It's interesting here. Jesus didn't see destructive vandals that were destroying a house. He saw these friends' faith. These people thought, like, if I could just get my friend in front of Jesus, everything will be okay. Do you have a burning belief inside of you that if you can just get your friends to Jesus, everything will be okay? Do you really believe that? Are you the kind of friend that believes, has faith, that if I can just get my friends to Jesus, they'll be okay? I don't have all the answers to their questions I don't know what to do with them sometimes. I don't know what to do with the brokenness that they're experiencing. I don't know how to help them get past this addiction in their life. I don't know all the answers to all their questions under the sun. But I believe if I can just get them to Jesus somehow, some way, he'll know what to do. And he'll be able to heal them of whatever it is they're wrestling with. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't see or seem to mention anything about the man who was paralyzed's faith. Like, you would think the man who was paralyzed, it would have been his faith that would have been attractive to Jesus to bring about the healing. But Jesus doesn't even mention his faith at all. It makes me wonder, did he even have any faith? Maybe he had been through too many disappointments. Maybe he had tried too many times and hoped too many times that God would heal him, but it just didn't seem to happen. His faith was wrecked, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating, but... Jesus didn't mention anything about his faith, but he had a whole lot to say about the friend's faith. The fourth thing that stands out to me in the the story is everyone needs a friend that can loan their faith when ours runs dry. Everyone needs a friend that can loan their faith when ours runs dry. If you haven't run out of faith yet in your relationship with the Lord, you probably just haven't lived long enough. Because almost everybody will, live, will go through something at some point in their life that will rock their faith. Something that will knock them off the road so far that they don't even know if they could crawl back. Life has a way of doing that. If you've lived for a while, then you know sometimes we go through stuff that you start to wonder about God. You feel so shaken to your core that you don't even know anymore. And when you find yourself in that place what an amazing gift to have a friend that can come alongside of you and say i know you don't have faith right now but i do let me lend my faith to you a friend that can pull you out of the ditch and say like look i know you don't know where jesus is right now i know you don't know where to find him let me just point you in the right direction what an amazing privilege it is to have a friend in your life like that who can walk with you and lend their faith to you when yours runs dry. Then Jesus does something pretty interesting. He says, sons, your sins are forgiven. If I'm the friends on the roof, I'm kind of looking down at Jesus like, hey, Jesus, I think you kind of missed why we came here. Like, there was kind of something that we had in mind, and everyone in the room expected Jesus to heal this man's legs, to heal his body. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And his friends got to be thinking like, that's great and all, but that's not really why we came here. Like we came here so my friend could walk. Like, how did you miss this, Jesus? Like, I know you know everything, but how did you miss this? What Jesus is trying to say here is no material prosperity, no physical condition is more important than having a right relationship with God. Whatever list you brought to Jesus today, Whatever was at the top of the list, that thing at the top of the list is a distant second to you being right with God. This person thought what his most important need was, was his physical condition. But Jesus saw the deeper need, he saw the more important need of being right with the Father, so he forgave his sins. I want you to know this morning that whatever you think is most important in your life, Jesus actually knows better, as it turns out. So many times we'll come to the Lord with like, Lord, and maybe some of you did this this morning, saying, Lord, like, here's my list of things that I need. This is the stuff that I need you to pay attention to. I need you to heal this stuff. And then Jesus will talk to us about something completely different. And it's like, Lord, are you even paying attention? Like, do you even have any clue what's going on in my life? Because you want to talk to me about this anger issue in my life. But what about this stuff that I needed? I I don't have money to pay my bills. Like I thought you were going to help me with the stuff that I really needed. But you want to talk about this other thing. Jesus always sees the deeper thing, the more important thing, even if we don't know. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't concerned with this man's physical condition. He just saw the greater need. He saw the man's deeper need for a relationship with the Father. Let's keep reading in in verse 6. It says, now the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is interesting. Like, Let's say this morning, Natalie punches me, and then Nicole looks at Natalie, and she says, Natalie, I forgive you. I might be like, well, wait a second. Like, I'm the one who should do the forgiving. Like. She punched me, like this isn't Nicole's forgiveness to give, like it's, it's mine. What Jesus is getting here, at here is every sin that's committed is actually a sin that's committed against the Father. There's a place for forgiving one another and for asking for forgiveness of sin with each other, but every one of our sins is actually a sin against God. So when he forgives sins, what he's actually saying is, I am God. I have the power to forgive sins. And I believe if we want to have the kind of relationships that these friends had, if we want to be the kinds of friends that these guys were to each other, I believe that that's actually a place that we can expect God to show up and do amazing things. Is in friendships like that. It says that they were amazed; that everyone was amazed at what Jesus did. And that word that amazed there, like I, when I read that, I first thought like everyone was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool. Look at what Jesus did." But when I looked up that word, what it actually means is their minds were blown. Their minds were literally blown. Like they were like, oh, wow, that's insane. I can't even believe it. And I believe that when we enter into these types of friendships, we will actually see God show up and do amazing things like this in our friendships and in our relationships when we have faith for each other, when we lend our faith to each other, when we carry each other's mats. I was writing this sermon and I kind of got to this point in it, and I had this thought that I'm guessing probably most of you might have too. The thought that I had was man, I wish I had friends like that. I wish I had friends that would carry my mat, that would walk with me in my brokenness. I wish I had friends that were willing to do the hard work required to have friendships. I wish I had friends that would bring me closer to Jesus. I wish I had friends that would lend their faith to me when mine was broken. And I heard Jesus say, then go be that kind of a friend. Then go be that kind of a friend to someone else. And I want to tell you this morning, if you sat here and you listened to some of those things, and you said, man, like I wish I had a friend like that in my life. Go be that kind of a friend for someone else. Be the kind of a friend that would carry someone else's mat, that would be willing to do the hard work required to make relationship happen. Be a kind of friend that would bring someone closer to Jesus. Be the kind of friend that would lend your faith to someone when someone else's faith has run dry. There's a professor and writer whose name was Fred Craddock. And he believed that community and friendship was so tied to the message of the gospel that you couldn't actually share the gospel with someone without including community and friendship in that story. He would oftentimes have opportunity to preach at churches. And every time he preached, he would end with a story. And the story went something like this. He says, I have a special group of people that I meet with regularly. And when we meet together, we have a tradition when a new person joins that group. When a new, new person comes and joins us, we have a tradition. We invite that person to go with us to get a meal. He said, when that meal is over, we stand up together and we hold hands in a circle. And then starting with the person on the right of the new person, if you were in this room, this is what you would hear. You would hear somebody introduce himself and say, hi, my name is John. I work at the gas station in the center of town, and I love to fix cars. If you ever need help with your car or anything mechanical in your life, I'd be more than happy to help you. I I really find joy in doing it, and I'd be happy to help you. Then they would go to the next person. Then The person would say, hi, my name is Susie. She said, I love to bake. She said, if you ever need help baking, you let me know. I can tell you how to bake just about anything. If you ever need a a pie for a special occasion, pies are kind of my specialty, everyone loves them, let me know and I'd be happy to make a pie for you. Got to the next person. The person said, hey, my name is Bert, I own the lumber yard in town, and uh, I love to work on people's houses and help people with home projects. If you ever need anything at all, just let me know. I haven't run into anything yet that I haven't been able to fix, so whatever you're running into, I'm sure we can get it fixed up and buttoned up for you. And the next guy introduced himself, and he said, Hi, my name is Fred. I have a law practice in town. I sincerely hope you never need my services. But if you do, my office is right across the street from John's gas station, and I'd be happy to help you in any way that I can. And they would go all the way around the circle. And Fred would end his story by saying, We have a special name for this group. We call it church. These are my friends. These are my people. And this is Jesus' church and what his church looks like. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, if we're gonna be the church that you've called us to be, if we're gonna we're gonna be the church that looks like what you want it to look like, if we're gonna be the church that reaches the community around us, if we're gonna be a church that actually makes a difference, we have to change. We have to grow. We have to start to be the kind of friends that would carry someone else's mat. There would be friends that would be willing to do the hard work and don't just bail when it gets difficult. We have to be the kind of friends that would bring people closer to Jesus. We have to be the kind of friends that would lend our faith to those around us who fell off the wagon. If that's your heart this morning, you would say, you know what, I want to be that kind of friend. I just want you to respond to the Lord just by raising your hand and saying, Lord, I hear you and I want to be that kind of a friend to the people around me. Lord, would you make us your church? Lord, would you make us selfless? Would you help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to see the people around us who are in need? Lord, instead of just sitting back and wishing that people would be that kind of a friend for us, Lord, let us go be that kind of a friend for the people around us, because we are, really are better together, we know that you want us to live life in circles. Lord, I pray specifically for all the life groups that are going on right now and different people that are entering in. Lord, I ask that these life groups would be a place where we could be vulnerable, we could be honest about where we're at. We could be honest about our mat, our brokenness. Lord, I ask that deep friendships would be formed out of these groups, that we would be able to be there for each other and care for one another and be the church that you've called us to be. I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place today. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.